I want to go ahead and introduce our speaker this morning and uh, uh, talk about a longtime friend and fellow uh, worker. Corey Sawyers is one that um, I think this may be the first time I've ever introduced Corey, but Corey is the uh, the full-time minister of the church in Martin, Tennessee, and I was blessed to do a, a gospel meeting out there uh, earlier this year, and it was instantly apparent that the, the congregation there just absolutely loves Corey and his wife, Melody, that... Um, they uh, appreciate so much uh, Corey. He was one that was is a graduate of uh, the Bear Valley Bible Institute, and we uh, hired him to work uh, as an instructor and in the development department. And he did just a terrific job, but he had a heart that wanted to get back into preaching and get back to Tennessee. And so uh, we certainly appreciate the good work that uh, Corey uh, is doing there in uh, Martin, Tennessee. Corey is a people person. He is one that um, if you have talked with him for 15 seconds, you already know just the, the genuineness and the love and the, the Christ-likeness that he has in his life. And uh, he's someone that we just love uh, so very much. And they've got three boys, uh, all of which uh, start with G. You've got uh, uh, Gord- Garrett and Gordon and Gannon. And uh, we've graduated one. Now we're working on uh, the other two. And we'll have... Uh, Grady lead us in. I've got G's. Now. I've got Grady, Gordon, Garrett. <laughs> we'll lead us in a word of prayer, and then after the prayer, we'll go ahead and turn it over to our speaker of the hour. Well, uh, I would say thank you for being here, but I was hoping none of y'all would show up and we could go listen to Dan this hour instead. But uh, uh, I don't know if you knew that was an option. You still have. I'll look down and you can walk out if you'd like to. But uh, I'm thankful that you've chosen to be here. And, uh, one one connection you may not know, uh, Grady was actually Melody's preacher the entire time she was growing up, and uh, so lots of connections there. Whenever we were raising support to come to Bear Valley, I, I called Grady and asked him if I could put him down as a reference, and Grady had held several meetings for us uh, at the congregation I grew up in, and he knew my papaw really better than me, and, and he said, well, I guess I could, I could be a re-. I said, no, I don't want you to be a reference for me. I want you to be a reference for the school, and the number of congregations in northwest Tennessee at that time that was not very familiar with Bear Valley Bible Institute and and uh, I would try to get them to support us and, and in the conversation they'd say, well, I'm not sure. I don't know much about that. And I'd say, well, you remember Grady? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I know Grady. <laughs> well, he's got a letter on the back that uh, my packet that uh, he speaks up for the school. Well, if Grady says it's okay, then it must be okay. So uh, we appreciate and love Grady very much. I'm thankful to be here and thankful to be a part of uh, this lectureship. Uh, one night when, when uh, actually Denny was doing a, the, the, the meeting that we were doing, he was uh, doing his How We Got the Bible seminar for us. And one night as we were driving back to the hotel, to drop him off, 
I asked him, I said, have you decided on what the lectureship's going to be on this coming year? And he said, yes, we have. And he said, and you're going to love it. <laughs> and I said, well, what is it? And he said, it's the Psalms. And I, I did love that idea. And uh, then it was a little bit later that he called and he said, I, I want you to do two things. I want you to pick out a psalm that you'll preach. And I'm getting to do that Sunday afternoon. But he said, I want you to do a lesson on learning to love the Psalms. And I'll be honest, I don't normally do a lot of topical preaching. Um, that's not. Uh, I'd rather do exegetical lessons and just walk through a text. But when Denny asks you to do a lesson, you do a lesson. And uh, and this is one that really uh, is important to me. Uh, that I really appreciate this idea of learning to love the Psalms. This this is my story, and it was about uh, a decade ago, nearly, that I got to start the first class that Denny asked me to teach was the Book of Psalms, and I've been teaching it since. And I've I've taught it in Cambodia for Wes. Uh, you may not know, uh, next week I'm teaching it in Malawi by Zoom. I'm not going to Malawi, but by Zoom I will be teaching it in Malawi. And I love every opportunity that I get uh, to talk about uh, the book of Psalms. I am a minister. I'm not a scholar. I'm not a professor. I'm not a theologian. Um, I'm a minister. Uh, it's what I do. It's what I believe the Lord wants me to do. And uh, I minister in a variety of ways. I teach uh, other preachers and train, help train young men to be preachers. Uh, um, I teach Bible classes. I preach sermons. I conduct one-on-one -on -one studies. I speak in lectureships. Um, I get to write articles. I, I, I get to, to be with people and, and visit and pray with them in times when they're sad or when they're downhearted or when they're sick or where they have problems in their lives. Um, one of the great blessings of ministry is I get to be there in the big moments of their life. They want me there in graduations and marriages and celebrations uh, at births. I, I get to be there and counsel people when their marriages or their relationships or their outlooks or their life in general have been negatively impacted. And doing all of those kinds of ministry now for over a quarter of century, a quarter of a century, I've done the best that I could, but I've not always known the most effective ways to do what it is that I needed to do or wanted to do. And uh, the Psalms are really what I needed for that. Um, before we get into it, learning to love the Psalms, I think it's important for us to think about why the Psalms have have kind of faded a little bit in their popularity and, and in the way that we look to them. And, and maybe uh, it's not always been this case. It's a recent phenomenon. Maybe J. Baldwin Brown says it best. The Jewish Psalms have furnished the bridal hymns, the battle songs, the pilgrim marches, the penitential prayers, and the public praises of every nation in Christendom since Christendom was born. They have rolled through the den of every European battle field. Drake sailors sang them when they claved the virgin waters of the Pacific. They crossed the ocean with the Mayflower pilgrims, were sung around Cromwell's campfires in palace halls by happy hearts, in squalid rooms, in pauper wards, in prison cells, in crowded sanctuaries, in lonely wilderness. Everywhere they have uttered our mourn, our moan of contrition, and our song of triumph, our tearful complaints, and our wrestling, conquering prayers. The, the fact is that the Psalms have always been um, used by a variety of people in a variety of ways. But in recent days, uh, it's, it's kind of a new phenomenon again, but we just don't look to the Psalms as, as maybe we much as we should uh, look at them. And even though 
Uh, that's the case. There's a number of reasons why that might be. And in his excellent book, W. Robert Godfrey, lists several reasons, and among those that he talks about why that maybe the Psalms have fallen out of favor to some degree is, is that they're just not studied and sung as often as they used to be. And, and I'm not sure exactly why that's the case. Maybe it's because, especially in the Church of Christ, that we sometimes don't value studying the Old Testament. My memo was one that anytime someone would preach from the Old Testament, she was quick to say, why did he preach out of the Old Testament? We live under the New Covenant, you know. Now there was one preacher that could get away with that. You can guess who that was. When I preached from the Old Testament, oh, Corey, that was so good. You know, but a little bit of a slant there, but sometimes we just don't study the Old Testament as we should. The complex poetry, uh, because of the, the poetic nature, and we'll talk about this more in a few moments, but because of the poetic nature, we, we're just not uh, consumers of poetry like we used to be. In pre previous generations, people would buy books of poetry to, to read and, and science, and now the only real poetry that we read with any uh, regularity is probably what comes in a Hallmark greeting card for the most part. Uh, the scholarly work, sometimes we're trying to help explain the Psalms, but sometimes the average Bible student can be confused when we use terms like imprecatory or uh, chiasmus or uh, lament or some of those things that they're not as familiar with. And then the seemingly random arrangement. Now, there's not really random arrangement. Uh, I would suggest to you that just like everything in the Bible, it's exactly the way that God wants it to be. The same God that inspired the words, inspired the, the bringing together and the, the, uh, the keeping together God's Word as it should. It's, it's interesting that especially with the wisdom literature, people want to act like it's just something that's been haphazardly thrown together. Uh, Michael Hyatt uh, teaches James here and he's always saying, Saying that James is not the Proverbs of the New Testament, and it's not. Denny teaches Matthew, and I know he's heard people talk about the Sermon on the Mount. It's just this random collection of a bunch of stuff until you study and realize that it's a really great, well laid out sermon on righteousness. I always suggest to people that Proverbs is not the Proverbs of the Old Testament either. At least it's not what they think it is. It, there's lots of structure in the Proverbs and there is with the Psalms as well. And we'll talk about that in a few moments. But because of all of these different reasons, um, as he talks about, we just don't love the Psalms like maybe we used to or, or like we should. But he ends this particular thought with this quote. He says, To help Christians understand and appreciate the Psalms at a new level, we must engage our heads and our hearts in an adventure of learning to love the Psalms. Engage our head and our hearts, the way we think and our emotions, because I'm going to tell you that, that to understand the Psalms like you should, it, you really have to have a little bit of appreciation for being emotional. Now listen, I think I'm just as manly a guy as there is in the room. I can skin a buck and I can run a trout line and all that kind of stuff. But you got to be in touch with your emotions because the psalmist certainly was. And you got to appreciate a little bit the, the artistic nature by which that it's put together. When I was first given the task of, of teaching the book of Psalms, I'll be honest, it was very overwhelming. I didn't let you know that because I didn't think I couldn't handle it, but it was really overwhelming in part because of just how much material is there. Uh, it's not the longest book. It has the most chapters, but in terms of the number of original words in a book, it's actually third, but it's still a lot to try to, to grasp because it's not laid out like Genesis where you have a detailed history going from creation 
blessing to Abraham's descendants going into uh, Egypt. It's not uh, a collection of all of the messages that God gave to uh, His children through one prophet. It is The Psalter is 150 chapters. It's 150 or thereabouts uh, songs and prayers. These uh, these uh, collection of the way that that these people would would try to express their feelings and their emotions to God, written over about a thousand years' time by more possibly more than any other authors that any other Bible book would have. Maybe Proverbs would be the one that that might surpass Psalms. But when you put all that together, it's a little bit intimidating for us. And yet still, as we get into and study, the more I've dug into the book of Psalms, the more that I have learned to love it and to love to study it and to love to teach it and to love to minister with it. Uh, When we think about the Psalms, we can just easily be reminded how much we've loved the Psalms in years past because when you buy a New Testament, even a New Testament has Psalms in it. And that's in part because you need the Psalms to understand that it depends on which uh, scholar you look at. It's usually either Isaiah or Psalms, but it depends on how you're counting allusions and different things. But it's one of the most quoted books in the New Testament. Now, Denny likes to talk about how important it is for his students to listen to 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. Michael Hyatt will tell you that every book runs into James, but I tell people I get to preach Jesus' favorite book because Jesus quotes the Psalms more than anything else. And I tell my class all the time that in one quarter I don't have time to tell you everything there is to know about the Psalms, and I certainly don't in the 30 minutes that we have remaining, but I hope for the next few minutes to help you learn to love the Psalms, to love the God of the Psalms, and especially for those of you in ministry to love preaching the God of the Psalms. So we could talk about a lot of reasons for time's sake. I just want to give you four reasons why that I have learned to love the Psalms. Number one, I love the Psalms because of the beauty of the Psalms. I've learned to love the Psalms because of the beauty of the Psalms. I've already mentioned the poetic nature and the artistic value that's that's therein. And sometimes that that language can be a bit confusing because we don't consume poetry as we once did in prior generations. But if we're willing to take the time to dig into and try to appreciate the language that is used, that poetic beauty, that we'll find that it's inspiring and it's uplifting and it's encouraging. There's a certain language used in the Psalms. It's a, a language of the heart and the soul. It's they're, they're dealing with and grasping with the things that, that they're talking about. The Psalms are not driven by verb tenses and syntax. Now, I appreciate those exegetical studies as much as anyone and love to do it. But that's not really what drives the book of Psalms as much as the Psalms are are really driven by by images. Uh, the, The old saying that a picture is worth a thousand words is never more apparent than in the book of Psalms. That's, that's the reality of it. Um, if you're a minister, a preacher, a teacher that struggles with illustrations, the Psalms provide the illustrations for you. I've, I, it's not a, an original quote with me, but I often said that the Psalms makes a bad preacher a good preacher and a good preacher a great preacher, which maybe is why I most love the Psalms because I need to be preaching from the Psalms so much. But the, the idea that we have this beautiful language that's used, has there ever been a more beautiful picture of our relationship between us and the Lord than the Lord is my shepherd. 
especially written by the hand of a shepherd. Now, the, the problem that we run into is that we have to understand the language in the time and place in which it was written. If you, if you go back and research the relationship between a shepherd and his sheep in modern day America, and then the relationship between a shepherd and his sheep in ancient Palestine, you'll choose the latter every time if you're a sheep. Mm-hmm. But the, the idea is that if we take the time to dig in and not only see the beauty of the language, but in the terms in which it's presented, then we'll see just as we look at the Lord is my shepherd, just how important that we are to Him. Just how much we need Him. And just how vital our relationship with Him is. One of the things that I'm often asked because I teach Psalms, Denny, you probably were as well, is what's your favorite Psalm? And Psalm 8 has always been mine. And I don't know that there's a more beautiful Psalm, uh, you could debate that certainly, but a more beautiful Psalm written in part. I like it so much because when I read Psalm 8 written by David, It to me seems like it's written from the perspective of a country boy raised on a farm, which David was, and I can certainly appreciate that perspective. And in that that psalm, he'll say this. He'll say, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. So how are you going to explain that, David? Well, let me give you a couple of ways that I can show you how majestic God's name is. Let me talk to you about the smallest things that we could talk about. When you see the birth of a child, when you see the birth of a baby, and he had certainly seen that not only in the place in which he was, in his family, but also raised on a farm. How, many, how much livestock had he seen birth? And every time he would see that, I remember the first time that I held Garrett in my hands in that, that, uh, that delivery room, and, and, and immediately, as tears rolling down my face, saying, how could anyone believe that there's not a God? Um, and then he says, and then I look up at the biggest thing that I could look at. I can just picture David out in the field with his sheep at night. And you can't do this in the city. You've got to get out in the country. Uh, but out in the country, you look up in the sky and you just see all of these stars. This picture was taken by the Hubble telescope without any kind of light uh, taking away from just how many stars there are. When I look at the stars in the sky, and by the way, later on he's going to tell us that God has a name for every one of them. I'm like you, Denny. i got three boys. I call the wrong name every time. <laughs> he's got all them by name, and He calls all of them by name, and He knows all of them. And David says in Psalm 8, that's the work of your fingertips. Now what work do you do with your fingertips? You scratch your ear? You pick your nose? You tie your shoelaces? He says that is God's fingertip work. How beautiful is that? See? And when we think about the beauty of what He says and the way He says it, we don't, we don't talk like that. And we don't have to. That's poetic language that's written, of course. But when we look at that, it not only describes our emotions, but how beautifully it describes our emotions. At the heart of this poetic language is our struggle to communicate our desire to be one of God's people and to communicate to Him our emotions and to properly try to illustrate or describe to Him what He means to us. It's seen in a variety of Psalms like Psalm 13 and Psalm 17 and Psalm 37 and Psalm 73. 
when we look at, there's no other place in the Bible, in Scripture, where we see that we're reminded of the beauty of God in a relationship with Him in terms like we see in the Psalms. And I've learned to love how this is so effectively done through the beautiful poetic language of the Psalms. But number two, I've learned to love the Psalms because they're real. When you look at the book of Psalms, the cool part about the Psalms is that when you look at the basic message, all you have to do is look and see what it is that that the, the words are communicating from and to. You know, I think about how many times in the Gospels that we see Jesus going into the mountains or going into the garden when He's dealing with certain things, making big decisions or, or facing troubling times. How often that God the Son felt the need as He's going through life as a human being to communicate to God the Father what He's going through. And if Jesus needed to do that, then how badly do I? But I don't know about you, how many times have you gotten down on something that's going on in your life? You know you need to pray. You get down on your knees, you fold your hands, you bow your head, you open your mouth and you don't know what to say. The Psalms helps us with that. If you go through and you look at all of the ways that God can be mentioned, the pronouns, that the antecedent of that pronoun is God, the different names of God and whatnot, just in the book of Psalms, God is mentioned 4,563 times. The psalmist is mentioned 2,087 times. Now, I know what Mark Bassett is thinking. He's thinking, Corey went to school in Dresden, Tennessee. He can't count that high. <laughs> and maybe I can't. You know, I didn't really count these. I used a tool and logo. But nonetheless, I'm willing to concede maybe I miscounted. Let's say that I missed it by 500. Would that be fair? Mm -hmm. You still have God being mentioned over 4,000 times and the psalmist mentioned over 1,500 times in 150 chapters. Guess what the book of Psalms is all about? It's about a relationship between individuals who value their relationship with God and want to draw closer to Him through the real things that they're going through in their lives. That's what it's all about. Furthermore, notice who it is that's writing these psalms. There's a reason why David, the man after God's own heart, is mentioned is writing more psalms than any other. And as far as we know, King Saul never wrote a psalm. There's a reason for that. David and all of his troubles and all of his problems and all of the things that he's going through in life, even in the times that he's made the wrong decisions, he's always looking to how can I get back to God, grow in my relationship to God and honor Him. Saul's trying to figure it out on his own. And for a man of God, when we go through those things, what Psalms is all about is bridging this gap between our Lord and ourselves. Men of God that we want to be of making this decision between being an enemy. Most of the time when enemies mentioned in Psalms, it's an enemy of God or an enemy of His people. Being an enemy or being the wicked or are we going to choose to be on the righteous? And it's all a matter of the heart. <clears throat> as you deal with the certain things that you're going to deal with. And make no mistake about it, Psalms covers every kind of issue that one might deal with in this life. All of the highs and the lows. All of those things that, that if we're committed to the Lord, we want to work through to strengthen our relationship with Him. The psalmist understood that their existence was all about God, which is why they praise Him as they do. 
And these men work through those good times and bad, all of which could drive us away from God or bring us closer to God. They work through them to get closer to God. There used to be an old uh, an advertising slogan when smartphones came out. Maybe some of you are old enough to remember. There's an app for that. You remember that? Mm-hmm. And the point of it was that whatever you're, you're needing to do or trying to do, remember when your math teacher would say, well, you're not going to be carrying around a calculator in your pocket. Yeah, I kind of am, you know. Yeah. Uh, you better remember this. You're not going to be able to just look it up anytime. And how many of us as dads, our, our sons have asked us something and we're like, uh, well, uh, and we got Wikipedia over here and we're like, I'll tell you about the Rock of Gibraltar, you know, whatever. <laughs> so there's an app for that, whatever you want to do. Well, I've adapted, since I've been teaching Psalms, I've adapted that phrase to say there's a psalm for that. Mm-hmm. And there is. Whatever you're going through, highs or lows, there's a psalm for that because they're real. We can go to 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12 and we can read about what's happened in the life of David. We can read about the conversation between the prophet Nathan and the king of Israel, David. We can see David's reaction to it and what he does. But it's not until we turn to Psalm 51 that we realize what it is that he's praying and what it is that he's feeling and what it is that that he has he used this? How has this impacted my relationship with God? How is it impacting my relationship with God? And what impact do I want it to have on my relationship with God in the future? That's priceless to see how men of God in good times and bad work their way back to God. I get to teach Job also. One of the things that we talk about with Job is how that the three friends never pray. Job is constantly praying. Job, almost every one of his speeches, there's a time when he'll turn away from the three and to the Lord and he'll talk to God and he'll pray prayers that we would not be comfortable praying. He'll say things like, God, your entire system of justice is flawed. Or, God, I can't believe that you built me up just so you could knock me down. Or, God, what in the world are you doing? But Job, at the end of the book, God says that Job never sinned with his mouth. And He says, you three friends have not represented me well. What's the difference? The three friends are trying to figure out suffering on their own. Job, in his suffering, is trying to get back to God. Of all the things that he's lost, that's what he's most concerned about losing. That's what men of God do. That's what women of God do. Is how can we get back to God? It doesn't mean God's going to take those things, those real issues in life away from us. Remember, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were saved in the fiery furnace, not from the fiery furnace. Daniel was saved in the lion's den, not from the lion's den. David was saved in the face of Goliath, not from facing Goliath. And Jesus, even though He prayed, was not able to have that cup taken away from Him. He went to the cross. And even though He felt abandoned by God, God was with Him and gave Him the victory and the glory through it all. That's what men of God do. Not only can we get through those things, but we can praise God as we do. You know, there's lots of ways you can categorize the Psalms. Denny taught eight categories. I teach those same eight categories. I've seen commentators with as many as 24 different categories of Psalms. And when you boil it down, there's really only two categories, praise and lament. And one of the interesting things is you go through the book uh, its entirety. It's really five different books. But one of the things that you'll notice is at the beginning of the book, the way God has structured this, is that at the beginning of the book, there's lots of laments and a a few praises. And the further you go into the book, you're going to find that totally changed to where there's a lot more praise psalms and a lot less 
of the lament. And that's a microcosm of what our life is supposed to be like. Of what every, every psalm of lament ends with hope. Every cry, plea for God for mercy and help ends with trust in Him. That's what men of God do with real issues. John Calvin said it this way, I've been accustomed to call this book, I think not inappropriately, an anatomy of the parts of the soul. For there's not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that's not here represented as in a mirror. And it's true. Uh, no matter what we're going through in life, it can either bring us closer to God or drive us away. The question is what we allow it to do. Denny taught me the technique of, of uh, teaching people to write the Psalms in their own words and pray those prayers. Denny has used it often with people dealing with depression. I've used it most often in a variety of circumstances, but most often with people struggling in their faith or struggling in their relationship with God or struggling with knowing how to pray. And every single time that I've prescribed it to someone, it's always helped. That's right. There's, there's a realness in the Psalms and I've learned to love them because of that. But not only that, I've learned to love the Psalms, number three, because they're God-honoring. I've learned to love the Psalms because they're God-honoring. They're God-honoring because they cause us to remember God in many places in which His attributes and works are praised. Again, when you think about how that this, this book is put together with five books, there's, there's a couple of Psalms at the beginning of it that's really important. It's, it's almost like a double door that you have to walk into to get into the room of the Psalms. The first one, Psalm 1, begins with this idea of blessed or God-approved is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Psalm 2 ends with the idea of blessed or God approved is the man who takes refuge in Him. And Psalm 2 is about the Lord's anointed. In the days of Israel, that would have been the king. In our days, of course, Psalm 2 we know replies to Jesus. But what he's saying is that before you get into the book of Psalms, if you're going to really get them and appreciate them and learn to love them, you've got to be people that honors the law of the Lord, that honors the anointed of the Lord, or you're not really going to grasp what the, the book of Psalms is really all about. When you get to the end of the book, this is the way it ends. With five different uh, Psalms that are hallelujah Psalms. Where just a combination of, of praise and Yahweh. Where over and over we're told, you start off with this idea of you've got to, if you want to understand who God is, if you want to really get the Psalms, you've got to love the Word of God and you've got to love the, 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 the anointed of the Lord. And then you've got to realize that it's all about praise Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And in the middle, and I, I've got uh, some handouts. You can get one of these. I know there's no way you can get all this, but, but on both of these tables there's these. I've tried to identify one word for each psalm. And you're going to read it. I'm sure Denny's going to read it and say, I wouldn't have picked that word. And, and he's probably right about it. But I just tried to pick one word. Hopefully you'll see why I picked that word. But notice how many of these words like trust and, and affliction and deliverance and shepherd and glory and praise all point us to God. That's what the Psalms are about, is pointing us to God. In fact, each of those five books end with a verse that's almost identical, telling us that we need to bless our praise. There's five different Hebrew words used to express praise to God, and bless is one of them. We need to praise the Lord and praise His glorious name. Everyone needs to do that everywhere. Amen and amen. Let it be. We think about 
about the times that, that we see David talking about how God honoring the Psalms are like in Psalm chapter 4. Uh, Dan Winkler talked about this a little bit last night about how it helps us to learn to trust in God and honor Him. In Psalm 4, he goes from, I'm distressed, I can't sleep to at the end of it. I can go to bed and I can sleep and I can have peace and I can have trust. What makes the difference there? It's the Lord. We think about like Psalm 62 verses 5-8 through 8 when he, he calls Him His rock and His salvation and His fortress. And so at the end of all that, He says that we need to trust in Him at all times because He's the Lord. They're God-honoring because they point us to Jesus. There's all of these King, Messiah uh, kind of psalms in there that the New Testament writers are going to point back to and give us a fuller meaning of. Dan Owen's going to talk about tonight about how that the Hebrews writer in particular points back to these four psalms, 2, 8, 22, and 110, to show us that, that it's telling us all along that Jesus is coming. In fact, there's an old expression in uh, the Reformation movement that, that came from the early church. They would say, always a psalm in the mouth always Christ in the heart. You'll see it quoted a lot. It's always uncredited, but it's quoted a lot and it's one that very much sums up the way the Psalms honor God by pointing us to Jesus. And number four, I have learned to love the Psalms because of the depth that they provide. They provide depth. The Psalms employ poetic language, but don't mistake that for simplicity. They are shallow enough that anyone can wade in them, and they're deep enough that anyone can plunge into their depths for a lifetime and still find meaning and application. In a sense, they kind of summarize the Bible. That's what Martin Luther said, that it promises Christ's death and resurrection so clearly. All the pictures and pictures His kingdom and the condition and nature of all Christendom that it might well be called a little Bible. Anyone who could not read the whole Bible would here have anyway almost an entire summary of it comprised in one little book, the book of Psalms. And so the Psalms contain encouragement and consolation. They teach evangelism, trust in God, the brevity of life, the power of the Word, the contrast between the righteous and the wicked, and to turn from idolatry. They give us life lessons such as the vanity of riches and how a king or a leader should lead, the danger of a boasting tongue. They teach us history of creation up to Canaan, Abraham to Canaan, Sinai to the sanctuary, Canaan to David, the destruction of Jerusalem, the Babylonian destruction, suffering in exile, return from exile, and the dedication of the walls. They define God as ruler, helper, deliverer, shepherd, provider, ruler, refuge, king, judge, good, eternal. And they show us the need to praise the Lord. I have learned to love the Psalms because of their beauty, the fact that they're real, the fact that they're God-honoring, and their depth. Why would those things make me love the Psalms, you might say? Well, the answer is simple, and it's selfish. The beauty of the Psalms and the depth of the Psalms have meant so much to me and what it's done to me. The beauty of the Psalms has caused me to appreciate even more how much the Lord uh, and a relationship with Him should mean to me and can mean to me. It's helped me to realize how beautiful praising Him is 
The beauty of the Psalms has made me a better worshiper of God in the way that I pray and sing and meditate on His wonderful works. The realness of the Psalms has encouraged me. I've come to realize that being a man of God doesn't mean that, that we won't have struggles. And that's encouraging. Even more so than that is that the fact that in those ups and downs of life, not only can I turn to God, not only does He want me to turn to Him, but the Psalms show me how to turn to Him. The God-honoring nature of the Psalms reminds me that it's all about Him. And many times the, the psalmists are tempted to be focused on self and situations and surroundings just like we, especially those of us in ministry, tend to do sometimes. But they were constantly driven to focus on Him as are we. Every lament ends in praise. Every cry for help ends in trust. Every praise seems to wrestle with how much we want to show Him our devotion and love for Him and contrast with that our inability to do so. The depth of the Psalms has made me a better preacher, minister, teacher, husband, father, and son. I love them because I love the men who wrote them. I love them because I love the God who inspired them. I love them because I love the Lord who they're dedicated to. And I love them because I love the preachers who have used them to teach Jesus and who have used them to train me to be a better man. I love them because they've made me see and realize and experience in my relationship with God. I know that if you will study the Psalms, you too will be eternally impacted by the beauty and the realness and the God-honoring nature and the depth of these prayers and praises. And how might we minister others to others? Bring hope to the downtrodden, faith to the weak, love to the unloved, and show our awesome, powerful, loving, wonderful God to a world that is groping and searching for Him even when they don't realize it. Learning to love the Psalms will grow your faith and your hope and your worship and your thankfulness and your relationship with the God that we serve. Learning to love the Psalms will help us to become and grow as and prove to be men and women of God. Learning to love the Psalms will help you love the God of the Psalms and love preaching the God of the Psalms. And as we do so, May we do so to His praise and His glory. Amen. Thank you. Amen.